Welcome to Dire Trip, where we deep dive into all sorts of spooky, horrific, or just plain weird crimes, lawsuits, and strange happenings all over the world. Without further ado, let's get into today's story. A young boy, after being placed into a foster home, went missing. His foster parents begged the public to help find him, organizing a massive search effort in order to do so, all while they knew the real truth about what had actually happened to him. This week, Yourzap has been kind enough to collaborate with me on this video. Yourzap is a self-care app designed to, well, help you take care of yourself in all sorts of ways. You've got everything from specially developed meditation rituals, to yoga practices, to even soundscapes, and a lot more, including sleep stories to listen to, which is something that I'm sure you'd probably like if you enjoy videos like mine. I know that personally, I will just never fall asleep if I don't have something to listen to, because no horror story is as scary as being left alone with your own thoughts, am I right? The meditation guides are a big help, too. A lot of people out there have trouble meditating on their own. I know I do. This app really helps to guide you in a way that you can get it done right. I'd say that the best thing about it is that it's all personalized to your tastes. You don't have to go search through a bunch of videos on YouTube only to come up with nothing that really vibes with you. It's a great time saver and it really works. It'll find the best program based on your own habits and needs to help you out in the most efficient way possible. All you really have to do is take about five minutes out of your day to be mindful with yours app acting as your own personal assistant to guide you and help you out. So, go to yourzapp.com dire, all caps, to get a huge 60% off of your discount from the yearly Yourzap subscription, or sign up using the code dire. Marcus Faisal was a little boy who was born in Middletown, Ohio, to a mother named Donna Trevino and his two siblings, Michael and Peaches. He seemed to be a bright and cheerful young kid, often fondly described by his neighbors as an awesome little guy. All wasn't well, though. Marcus did have some problems that stressed his mother out to an extreme degree. He did suffer from autism to the extent that he had to attend a special needs school. This stressed his mom out enough, but he was also very hyperactive. His mom gradually found it harder and harder to take care of him. It got to the point where a neighbor, once in a while, saw her flat out sobbing from sheer exhaustion while watching him. That wasn't the only thing stressing her out, though. She was a regular victim of violence at the hands of her boyfriend, which resulted in many calls to the police. When coming out to the home, the police couldn't help but comment that the house had a horrible flea infestation and reeked of poop. Hopefully this was pet poop, but it never was made clear. In September of 2005, when Marcus was two, the family was being reviewed by child welfare workers after getting reports that the kids in the family had been mistreated. It can be assumed that they found reason to believe that this was true, as the police were eventually called to come check things out. They found severe bruising on Marcus's left butt cheek. Then again in January, Marcus ended up crawling out of a window on the second floor of their home, out onto the first floor roof, and falling off. He was sent to the hospital and wound up with an injury that resulted in getting a bunch of stitches across his chin. Keep in mind that he was still two years old when he fell off of this roof. The damage could have been a lot worse. Then once again in April, there was another incident. Police were called out to deal with the family again when Marcus was found wandering the streets. The cops were called out after one passing car had almost hit him. 
Marcus's mother, Donna, broke down crying and told the police that she didn't know if she could care for her children anymore and that it was getting to be too much for her. So, because of that, the Butler County Job and Family Services were given temporary custody of Marcus. The agency that came to be in charge of placing Marcus within a foster family was a private agency called Lifeway for Youth. They decided to place Marcus with a family that they had on their list, a couple named Liz and David Carroll. They were from Union Township in a nearby county named Claremont. Little did Lifeway know, something was up with this foster family. A few things, actually. They had hidden a few things from the agency while registering. For one, David Carroll, the father, had a mental health issue that he did not make clear. That alone, according to guidelines, should have barred him from being a foster parent in the first place. He had also been arrested on domestic violence charges at one point, which, to be fair, were later dismissed, but had failed to report it to the agency as required. At some point, David and Liz met a woman named Amy Baker and started babysitting her kids as well. A relationship gradually formed between David and Amy, and Amy was frequently asked to go to bed with him and Liz. She gradually warmed up to the couple in this regard. According to friends and family of the couple, David did not like Marcus. He was jealous of the attention that he received from Liz. Yeah, he was jealous of a three-year-old. At some point, he ended up leaving the family entirely due to these grievances. This was when he left and got with Amy Baker and started dating her. But eventually he moved back in with Liz, oddly taking Amy with him. They became sort of a three-way couple over time. The details of this were made, uh, pretty well known. Amy stated that she has been having a sexual relationship with both Liz and Dave. Amy was nervous about people finding out about that. It had been agreed upon that Amy and Dave would not have sex unless Liz was involved. The significance of this in the end is that Lifeway didn't know that there was a third adult living in the house. When Amy moved in, nothing was solved. David still continued to be jealous of Marcus, except now he was jealous of losing two women to his attention. There was a caseworker from Lifeway who was supposed to come out to see Marcus in the Carroll home once every week, mainly due to his special needs. He wasn't really doing well as he was only functioning at half the capacity he should have been for his age. The last time the caseworker would ever see Marcus would be on August the 3rd, but it wasn't the last time they would visit the home. They did return for their weekly visit on August 10th, but they were oddly turned away at the front door. It was said that Liz was sick and that they would have to cancel the meeting that day. Seeing no reason for suspicions, the caseworker didn't push them any further and simply left the home. The caseworker never even caught a glimpse of Marcus that day. Marcus was suddenly reported missing just a few days later on August 15th in 2006. Liz called the police, saying that she had blacked out after suffering from low blood pressure at a place called Julie's Park over in a nearby area called Anderson Township. She said that she was with the four children that she was taking care of that day. Her own child with David, another foster child they had, a baby that she was babysitting, and of course, Marcus. She said that, after she woke up, she came to find that Marcus was missing. Soon enough, hundreds of people decided to volunteer and come help search for Marcus. They looked all over the surrounding neighborhoods, completely independent of the official police search that was going on at the time. 
It wasn't long before David and Liz started to come under scrutiny from the police and the public, even though they weren't really seen as suspects. The previous information about their lives and their home that they had hidden from Lifeway started becoming clear to the police. They eventually came to find out that Amy was living in the home, as this was nearly impossible to hide during the active investigation. It wasn't long before they also found out that David was bipolar and shouldn't have been eligible to be a foster parent in the first place. By this time, friends of the family told the police that Amy had been living there for about six months, maybe even more. Despite this, she still denied being David's girlfriend, trying to save face for the family in front of the police. It didn't take long for the truth to become abundantly clear, though, and it only served to harm the family's image even further. The agency that entrusted Lifeway with the placement said that the only thing they knew about the Carols was the information that Lifeway had provided them with. They then worked overtime to correct this mess. They started checking the safety of all 116 children that they had placed into homes through Lifeway. It only took a week for eight of the children that had been placed through Lifeway to be removed from their foster homes as well. Officials from the state started looking into these home placements themselves as well, of course mainly into Marcus's placement with the Carols. They were looking into the supposed heart condition that was said to have made Liz pass out on the day of the disappearance, as well as David's mental health and the previous domestic charges that were unreported to Lifeway. Claremont County officials were quick to drop the Lifeway agency from its list of foster care recruiters. Lifeway, a self-proclaimed faith-based organization, refused to answer questions about this case or about any of their placements. Then on August 22nd, Liz Carroll decided to hold a press conference about the disappearance, pleading to the public, asking that anyone who may have taken Marcus please return him. She explained that, at the time, she was the only adult on the playground, but that other people may have seen her before that. She continued, saying that she was walking with the kids before feeling lightheaded, either from heat or lack of food, and then went to a vending machine. I feel weak and I can't eat. We haven't been able to do family events. I still haven't went to the park. I can only hope that my mother is right because he is so sweet and they just took him because he is sweet. Afterwards, they supposedly went to the basketball courts. I was at the park with him and three other kids, playing on swings and slides, and have low blood pressure issues. Collapsed, somehow, sometime. Marcus wandered off or was taken. I believe someone did take him, hopefully with good intentions, Carol said. She went on to name off several different people she saw in the park that day, along with their descriptions. Saying that she hoped he was taken with good intentions was obviously a very odd thing to say, and many people took note of this. It wasn't necessarily incriminating, but come on, it's weird. She then said, I need help from the public to help my son. Marcus is my son. I know people think foster care is temporary, but please return him to a hospital. Waking up every morning and not having him run to me is very difficult. I am closer than his birth mother to him. Despite all of the people she described that were in the park with her, no witnesses ever reported seeing Marcus there in the park with her that day. No trace was ever found of him there, either. Suspicions against Liz and the rest of the household grew even stronger. At this conference, she admitted that her husband did fail a lie detector test about the event. However, lie detector tests have been proven many times over the years to be reasonably faulty, so this wasn't necessarily a death sentence. 
She did say that she would go back to take a lie detector for herself as well. She also attempted to remove some of the tension due to her husband's unreported mental health issue, saying that he does take medication for the disorder. But, unfortunately, a few days later, Marcus's remains were discovered on a large 88-acre estate in nearby Brown County, Ohio. The remains had been burned. Gradually, the police came to learn what had really happened. Marcus had never really gone missing with Liz in the park. On the contrary, Liz, her husband David, and possibly Amy all knew where he was. Marcus had been left in a closet for days, wrapped up in a blanket and held down with packaging tape while the family traveled away for a family reunion. He was left without food or water, but the police believe that the extreme heat is likely what got him. The temperatures in the closet during the summer heat would have been around 105 to 110 degrees Fahrenheit, and he was already wrapped up in a blanket and plastic tape. Liz Carroll later confirmed this herself, saying, I didn't have any intentions of hurting him. David and Liz Carroll were soon arrested. They were charged with involuntary manslaughter right away, with more charges being added gradually over the coming weeks. The other children were obviously removed from their home as well. Amy had her kids removed from her care, too, because of her relation to this case. The prosecutors began building their case and started putting together a timeline of what really happened over the past several weeks. Going back a bit, we have Friday, August 4th. David and Liz bound Marcus up in the blanket and put him into the closet so that they could leave for a family reunion. They took the rest of the kids to the reunion as well as even the dog. A few days later, on Sunday the 6th, the family returned home from the family reunion. They checked on Marcus in the closet only to find him dead from hyperthermia. They likely panicked, and instead of calling the police, they decided to cover up the crime. They took the body out to an old, abandoned chimney in Brown County. This chimney was the only standing remnant of a house that had been destroyed. David burned the body over and over until they felt it was unidentifiable. He then threw the remains into the Ohio River. A few days later, on August the 10th, the social worker came out to the Carroll's home to check on Marcus. This was when the family claimed that either Marcus or Liz was sick and turned the social worker away. They knew that the next visit would take place in a week, and this forced them to come up with some sort of long-term solution to Marcus's absence. They came up with a plan, and five days later on August 15th, the incident at the park took place. Liz went to the park with the other kids and, quote, passed out. Upon awakening, she said that Marcus had gone missing and started the massive search. No witnesses had ever seen Marcus there in the first place, but she stuck to the story. Then, one week later, the press conference took place in which Liz pleaded for the public to help find her supposedly missing son. This is when the family secrets started to come to light, their story began to unravel, and the investigation into the family informally started. Authorities came to believe that it was actually Amy and David who burned the body. However, Amy decided to testify against David and was therefore granted immunity. She fully confessed to helping dispose of the body in the river, but all of the charges against her were dropped. Some friends of Marcus's biological mom, Donna Trevino, came out and said that she regretted ever agreeing to give Marcus up to child services. She was reported to be in such a horribly distraught state that she couldn't even speak for herself. She had hoped that, although she couldn't care for him, Marcus would go to a loving family that would. I still can't believe it. Marcus is a sweet boy, we loved him, and we know he's in the hands of the Lord, said a good friend of Donna. 
I just hope God can forgive these people for what they did to him. The volunteers that had been searching for Marcus weren't really happy to hear about the crime either. Not only were they horrified to hear about what had really happened, they were sad, angry, and disgusted that the Carols went through with this ruse that had such a large number of people searching for him in vain for days. The man who ran the Lifeway for Youth Agency spoke out about what had happened, saying, We're all heartbroken up here. These people passed muster. They pulled the wool over everyone's eyes. He explained their role in the incident a bit. He said that, originally, they had gotten a call from the Carols saying that they would like to become foster parents. After going through 36 hours of intensive training in the previous January, they were officially licensed to do so. He said that Lifeway did, in fact, do both a background check and a local police check on the couple and did have them pass a medical screening as well. According to him, the couple were able to produce a medical record signed by a doctor that gave no mention of David's mental health condition whatsoever. It later came to light that David Carroll also had a lot of financial issues that he had failed to disclose as well, mainly failure to pay rent and credit card bills. Lifeway stated that, had that been known, it would have also been a red flag. However, they didn't check for financial issues during their screenings. It was kind of more of a secondary concern. Both Liz and David Carroll ended up being indicted for their part in Marcus's grisly death and for interfering with the investigation into the disappearance by coming up with their big lie on August 28th of 2006. They were indicted on two counts of child endangerment and one count of involuntary manslaughter. David was given an additional charge, gross abuse of a corpse. Then, only one day later on the 29th, additional charges were slammed down on the couple. Both David and Liz were given a few additional charges, one count of making false alarms and one count of inciting a panic. Liz ended up getting slapped with two additional perjury charges. The next day, they were given bail. Sounds pretty good, they thought, until they saw what the price tag was going to be. A whopping $10 million apiece. The prosecutor, Joe Dieters, also vocalized that he would be seeking the death penalty if at all possible. A few days later, on September 1st, the prosecutors held a press conference where they talked about how they would go about prosecuting the couple. It was a bit complicated given that the murder took place in Claremont County, but the attempt to cover up the death took place in Hamilton County. Rest assured, they were going to find a way to throw the books at the couple. Then, a week later, the grand jury indicted David on the previously mentioned criminal counts, plus a few more. Murder, involuntary manslaughter, kidnapping, felonious assault, endangering children, three counts, and gross abuse of a corpse. After accepting a plea deal, David eventually pled guilty to the murder and gross abuse of a corpse. He claimed that Amy, however, was the one who bound Marcus in the closet in the first place, but admitted that he was there with her when she did it. The judge accepted the plea and sentenced him to a low 15 years in prison. Liz was hit a bit harder. She was found guilty of all the previously mentioned charges against her on February 21st, 2007. The trial went on for a long 10 days. Her lawyer vowed to appeal, saying that a member of the jury was biased against Liz before entering the trial. She was not happy with either Amy or the prosecutor that put her away and made this known. I am appalled by Woody Breyer's affidavits. 
It would not surprise me if Woody Breyer is lying. Breyer does not have a problem presenting lies or lying himself. Breyer also said that Amy Baker passed the lie detector test and didn't harm Marcus, and I know that's 100% not possible. His affidavits are only a way to try to make his immunity appear justified for his own political career. None of the words that came out of Amy Baker's mouth are facts, and it's a shame that Dieters and Breyer claim they are. The prosecutor said during the trial, in closing, they say you wouldn't treat a dog like that, and you know what? She wouldn't. She took the dog with her. She took the dog with her. Speaking of how the Carrolls took the dog to their family reunion, but left Marcus behind. After this, obliviously, Liz replied, shouting, the dog was alive. The court was left in disbelief. She was sentenced to 54 years to life. A few months later in April, Amy was brought back into the spotlight, this time being charged with evidence tampering. The prosecutors in Kentucky said that her previous immunity only applied within the state of Ohio, and Kentucky was free to charge her with whatever they wanted. She and her attorneys fought the case as well as they could. The charges against her had the possibility to result in a five-year sentence. Eventually, these charges against her were indeed dropped about a year later. However, this wasn't the end for Amy. She was brought back in 2010 on other charges, charges related to pushing pills. She was convicted on these charges and sentenced to a year and a half in prison, at the same prison as Liz, the woman she testified against. David came out in an interview to the local news later on. In the interview, he refused to take much blame for the incident. He placed most of the blame on Amy and said that the timeline of events wasn't correct and that Liz had nothing to do with the whole thing. What I really, really have a problem with is that my wife wasn't even home when, when any of this occurred, when any of it occurred. And she went on a stand and, and said that my wife was, my, my wife and I taped them up and we went on a family reunion. That's the problem I have because that's not, exa that's not, that's not exactly what happened at all. Ex exactly what happened is, we, yeah, we left them. We left him when we went to the family reunion, but he was already dead. Uh, Amy and I, uh, we wanted to have sex, got, you know, got greedy. Uh, Amy said, you know, take the kids outside, we'll put Marcus down for a nap. Uh, she was supposedly supposed to be putting Marcus down for a nap. Uh, we found out later on that, you know, my wife and I, and we found Marcus later on that she wasn't actually putting him down for a nap. She taped him up and she, in a blanket, and um, he died. So I ran downstairs and I told my wife, I was like, he's dead, he's dead. She was like, who's dead? And she was like, she was smiling at me because she didn't know, she, she thought I was kidding. And then after she seen my face was white, you know, she was like, she started freaking out and crying. I was like, what? She ran upstairs behind me. As soon as she turned the corner, she seen him. And she dropped her knees and she looked at me and she said, what did you do? Like blaming me. I said, I didn't do this. I said, she did it. Talking to Amy and Amy was like, I just forgot about it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. My wife immediately goes to grab the phone. Amy grabs the phone. She's like, no, no, we can't. She's like, we can't call the cops. You can't call the cops. And Liz's like, well, I'm calling ambulance. I'm calling ambulance. Amy's going, no, he's already dead. It's not going to do any good to call the cops, the ambulance, or anything else, whatever. And Liz's like, we got to, we got to. So Amy grabbed the phone from her. Her name got into like a little argument. Amy started pushing her and grabbed the phone out of her hand. She started saying, uh, you've seen what happened to Marcus. That can happen to your kids too if anything, if anything like this gets out. Rather than lament too much about what happened to Marcus, he seemed to care more about his own well-being going forward. Although, of course, we all care about our own well-being, many felt that it was in very poor taste to focus on that during this interview. 
You know, it, it's tough. It is tough. And I, I think about it. I, I have dreams about it. I have nightmares about it. Um, you know, I was on medication when I when I first got here. And, you know, it was, it was helping out. And um, it's I've had a lot of time to grieve. I've had a lot of time to grieve. You know, I've laid my soul and cried many, many nights. Um, you know, that's and that that helped. You know, that helped. You know, with the crying and the grieving. Uh, now, what I try to do is when I start thinking about it too much, I'll, I'll pick up a book or a magazine and I'll just try to read, just get my mind completely off it. That's the only way I can really deal with that. In April of 2007, the chimney that was used to burn Marcus's body was torn down. It was then converted into a memorial for him. In Hanlon Park in Georgetown, Ohio, there was a memorial bench installed on what would have been Marcus's fourth birthday. This case obviously led to a lot of debate over how foster kids are placed into homes throughout Ohio and, well, in other states as well. By the end, Lifeway had their license revoked. There were several bills put forth before Congress and many investigations were held to look into why and how Marcus was placed with the Carrolls. A lot of placement companies have since modified how they perform their background screenings for prospective foster families as well, hoping to never make a similar mistake themselves. Some people feel optimistic about this going forward. When Marcus Faisal went missing, our entire community rallied behind that kid, wanted to know more about Marcus, and it gave people an opportunity to learn about kids in foster care. They run their background checks every day to see if anything new came up during the night, and that would have probably saved Marcus's life. He would have left the Carroll's home because David was charged with domestic violence six weeks before uh, Marcus died. But others don't quite share that optimism. Do you think things have gotten better? No. In the foster care system? No. Why not? I think they're worse. Kelly Grice is a mother of 12. Three of her children are adopted. She's also a former juvenile court ad litem who believes there's a great need for improvement in the system. I think that foster families that do this for the right reasons aren't appreciated enough, and I think there are many people that do it for the wrong reason. So I think there has to be a better way of finding the right families, and supporting them in the community. Once again, this has been your host, Kyle. Thank you very much for listening to today's podcast episode. Feel free to look through my huge library of other stories if you found this one interesting, and be sure to be there for the next stories that come out each and every week. Have a good night.